We've got some new faces on the fantasy leaderboards and in our fantasy hearts. I'm going to dive into some new names and help you navigate week six and beyond. Let's get it. What's up, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Pod. I am Trav, hosting and West Coasting for you as usual. Great to be here. Five weeks down, 13 weeks to go. Interesting time in the fantasy season right now. We are determining whether our teams are contenders, whether we might need to start selling some assets and playing for next year in our dynasty leagues, scrambling on the waiver wire in our season-long leagues where we haven't performed so well. So it is, we are in the thick. So we are in the thick of the fantasy season. And for this episode, I went through the fantasy leaderboards at each position, pulled out some observations and some notable names that I'm seeing in the landscape who's rising, who's falling, what can we expect from these over and under achievers that we've seen so far through five weeks. I'm going to get into all of that jazz cabbage on this epi. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Follow us on social media at True North FFB. And uh, let's kick it together and get some W's this season, people. We will start at the quarterback position, of course. We've got Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts in the top two spots. That is not a surprise with what we expected coming into the season. Number three is where we are going to stop first, though, and that is with Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears, and the pendulum continues to swing for Old Strawberry Fields. He's the quarterback three on the season so far, quarterback four on a points-per-game basis, and it's felt... To me, it's felt like it's been a pretty fine line for Justin Fields between being a great young franchise quarterback and being a terrible draft bust for the Chicago Bears. You watch him play, seems to be playing pretty good. He's getting drops from his receivers, not getting any help from his O-line. But then he goes through spurts of overthrowing deep balls by a mile, not being able to choose the right guy on those short routes, turning the ball over, unfortunately, quite a bit. So... It's been a mixed bag, a little Jekyll and Hyde action for Justin Fields with those insane flashes and those terrible mistakes. But the good news coming out of week five was that Thursday matchup against the Washington Commanders because he and DJ Mo Money looked dialed on that Thursday nighter. Three touchdowns caught by DJ Moore. Definitely an upswing happening there with the meld that these guys are getting. So I think the offense is going to be a little bit streamlined for Justin Fields. Schedule doesn't look terrible coming up, and we know that he has some abilities that can transcend a bad schedule. Let's start with the positives for Justin Fields. Obviously, that rushing is focal point number one for him as a fantasy asset. Ton of room for upward swing there as well. He's only averaging a little bit over four fantasy points per game as a runner this season. And last year, he averaged about 10 fantasy points per game as a runner. So definitely a bit of a slide there. Um, And I think that could go up a little bit to give him a little bit more of that Konami upside that we love. He's only got one rushing touchdown on the season so far. He took eight to the house last season. And at one point last year, he had a rushing touchdown in six straight games with seven rushing touchdowns over that span. So there is some intergalactic ability as far as a fantasy runner for Justin Fields. Just hasn't reared its gorgeous head just yet, but I think it's going to come to an extent this season. I don't know if he's going to be averaging 10 fantasy points per game, but I think he could move that four up to a seven fantasy points per game as a runner. And as a passer, I think like I'm not going to sit here and dress up a turd. It has not been pristine. He has five picks already on the season. Week five against the Commanders was actually his first game without an interception, so positive signs. 
His completion percentage and catchable throw percentages are outside the top 25, and he does hold on to the ball too long still. I totally get that. But on the positive note for him as a passer, and this is where fantasy production actually comes, is he's got the third most touchdowns. He throws the ball deep at the third highest clip in the league. And I think the funniest piece about that that I found when I was looking at deep passing is that number one and two ahead of Justin Fields as far as deep passing percentage are Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill. So just like we drew it up coming into the season, right? Not quite. But moving back to Fields, I think it's going to be kind of positive signs moving forward. If we look at the next few weeks, they've got the Vikings, Raiders, and the Chargers coming up. The Vikings and Raiders, both bottom 10 defenses against the pass. The Raiders have been solid as far as passing yardage, but they have allowed the eighth most passing touchdowns thus far. So I think Justin Fields can keep this going to an extent. And regardless of that matchup, like I said, the DJ Moore connection looks like it could be matchup proof. And that bakes in some passing production to go along with that rushing upside he presents. And the Bears might be bad, but Justin Fields is the cheat code we wanted him to be for fantasy football. Doesn't have to be on a good team, just has to be producing for fantasy. And that's what you're getting out of Justin Fields. And I'm going to go out on this limb and say that he is a top five quarterback play for me rest of season. Probably the biggest surprise at the quarterback position this season has been C.J. Stroud. He is getting it done so far in an overachieving Houston Texans offense, I will say. Uh, Definitely thought this was going to be a major run-heavy offense, but boy, was I wrong. The rookie second overall pick is currently in the top five in pass attempts and passing yards. He's been a top 15 quarterback in three of his five weeks. I think it's safe to say that this offense is much more desirable than we expected coming into the year. And I'm going to be honest, I I expected to have almost zero interest in any part of this passing game, but it's quickly become a passing game that we want to attach to. CJ Stroud's given us Nico Collins, given us Tank Dell, not to mention Dalton Schultz is heating up a little bit, and we'll talk about him later. CJ Stroud's not going to run the ball, we know that. He does show really good mobility in the pocket as far as escaping pressure and stuff, but he's not going to give you any big yardage games like the aforementioned Justin Fields. But there's still room for growth as far as a passer. We haven't really seen that spike touchdown week yet. His max in a a game is only two, and I think he could give us a few three bangers this season. He's only thrown the ball deep on about 6% of his throws, which is stark contrast from Justin Fields. And I think with the weapons that they've got in Tank Dell and Nico Collins, even a little John Mechie sprinkled in, there's some untapped fantasy potential as far as a deep passer for C.J. Stroud. Definitely looking the part of a franchise quarterback. I've got him in a bunch of my lineups right now where I had to replace guys who were underperforming, namely Deshaun Watson. Um, And I'm going to set and forget him until I see these rookie lumps start to cost me fantasy matchups. He can take some rookie lumps, but still put up 17 any given week. Uh, But if he's starting to put under 15 points up a game in any certain stretch, I'm going to be looking to pivot. I don't think that's going to happen for CJ Stroud, though. I think this passing offense is clicking. And we've seen the rush offense not clicking which I think is the biggest piece. So I think they're going to have to revert to the pass. Rolling along here, we're going to go to the Bay. And we're going to talk about Brock, don't call me a system quarterback, Purdy. I feel like he gets a little bit lost in the Christian McCaffrey shadow. Um, And looking at the question, like, is he a system quarterback? Let's start with that. I think think for me, it's probably a little bit of both. A little bit of both. We know this system has been lights out. It has been propping up quarterbacks for ages. Um, And Brock Purdy comes into that as Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the draft, one of the ultimate outliers if he continues what he's doing right now. 
I think it's a little bit of both. I think this system puts him in an incredible ecosystem to thrive. And I think he's doing a lot of things that we didn't necessarily expect of him coming into this season. Like right now, he's top 10 in most of the box score passing categories that you'll find, which isn't something I expected out of the San Francisco quarterback, regardless of whether it was Brock Purdy, maybe Sammy Darnold, maybe Trey Lance would have stuck around. Like I didn't expect these guys to be top 10 in those categories. The deep passing efficiency for Brock Purdy has been awesome. He is number four in deep completion percentage, tied for third in deep touchdowns. We've seen some of that bear out in some of Brandon Ayuk's downfield targets. One of the higher average depth of targets in the league does Brandon Ayuk have. And I think another surprise for me as far as Brock Purdy goes is that only about 45% of his yardage has come after the catch. So 45% of the yards has been gained after the catch by his receivers and pass catchers which is actually outside the top 20 in the NFL. And I think this is where he differentiates himself from a system quarterback because it could have been really easy for Kyle Shanahan to allow him to dump it off to Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, two of the best yards after the catch receivers in the league. George Kittle, one of the best yards after the catch tight ends. Christian McCaffrey, one of the best everything ever. Um, So it would have been really easy for Kyle Shanahan to kind of plunk those short targets in there, let them do all the work for Brock Purdy and not let him maybe be a liability or pose any risk to the team, but that has not been the case. There is full trust in him. We're seeing higher fantasy upside from the Niners quarterback than we have in a while, uh, aside from what never was with Trey Lance, of course. And Brock Purdy's really just uh, every week start as a quarterback, has the ability to put up that hyper-efficient four-touchdown games. Positive there is that he did it against the Dallas defense, which is one of the best defenses in the league. So I think he not only the San Francisco offense can transcend a bad matchup to be viable for fantasy football. Looking outside the top 15, we've got Trevor Lawrence at 17, Dak Prescott at 21, Joe Burrow at 24, Deshaun Watson at 28. Not what we hoped coming into the year. Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow are the ones that I feel the most confident about bouncing back. We know Joe Burrow was injured Came back this past week in week five, looked a lot better, and that trickled down to all the weapons and the offense in Cincinnati. So I think better days ahead there. Trevor Lawrence, he's outside that top 15, but I think he's going to come back in. He's playing pretty well this season, and the volume's going to be there. The talent is definitely there. So I'm not too worried about T-Law or Cool Joe B. Dak, I am much more worried about. I talked about Dak on the episode I recorded a couple weeks ago, and he's nothing more than a waiver wire streaming quarterback anymore. Would be nice if we could rely on him every week, uh, hearkening back to the ages of those best offenses in the league with Kellen Moore. This is not that anymore. There is a major increase in the focus on the run game in Dallas, and that's been to the detriment of Dak, to the detriment of CeeDee Lamb. Um, It's trickling down hard, so... Dak is not somebody we are keeping on our benches at all. He should be on the waiver wire. And if you need a stream, sure, find him in a good matchup. If you can look elsewhere for somebody who might be able to provide better upside, I would be doing so. And I mentioned Deshaun Watson, and he probably is a stream-worthy quarterback right now, but he just feels like he's going to be more than that as the season progresses, right? I think he's going to bounce back from the poor performance we've seen previously. He missed a game with an injury. Cleveland just had their bye as well. So we haven't actually seen Deshaun Watson for a couple weeks. The Browns run game doesn't look like it's going to be as effective as they hoped. So I think they're going to have to look at relying on the pass a little bit more. 
The hard part is to kind of assume coaching. Obviously, we can't really assume that. Even when we look at the fact that they paid the shit out of their quarterback and traded for an awesome wide receiver in Elijah Moore, I'm still not ready to say yes, they are going to increase their passing volume. Deshaun Watson, as kind of a standalone asset, though, doesn't really bring the rushing upside that he used to when he was on the Texans. He has zero explosive runs on the season right now, zero rushes inside the five-yard line. And if you remember when he played for the Texans, those goal line rushes were his bread and butter. He was almost doing Jalen Hurts things before Jalen Hurts was doing Jalen Hurts things. Like I said, there's just something about Deshaun Watson that feels like a little bit more than the streamer. I totally get it. Totally fine with trotting him out there. Just don't get in too deep where you're trying to pivot during your playoff run, right? If we see poor performance from Deshaun Watson, be ready to have a backup plan because you don't want to be trying to pivot while you're in the hunt and trying to make those playoffs because other teams in your leagues are likely going to have multiple quarterbacks, which lowers the pool that you can choose from on the waiver wire. So be ready to adjust who's on your roster and in your starting lineup at quarterback if Deshaun Watson slumps in the next couple weeks. Funny thing is, next week he has the Niners, so I really expect a tough game in week six for him. But he has Indianapolis after that, and that's one of the worst passing defenses in the NFL. So I would be giving him a two-week leash as opposed to a one-week leash, just considering that the next matchup against the Niners is a nightmare matchup for any team in the NFL. Just want to give a shout out and show some love to Anthony Richardson. Got injured. He is officially on injured reserve. Probably set to return a little bit later in the season. But if I'm them, I'm being pretty careful with that rookie quarterback because he looked every bit the franchise quarterback that they wanted him to be. He was running the ball effectively. He was throwing fairly efficiently, efficiently enough for a rookie, let's say. And so really hope Anthony Richardson gets back to health because he was doing like some top five fantasy asset as a rookie things in Indianapolis and uh, just sucks that we're not going to see that bear out over the rest of the season but hopefully you can come back later and show us some more of those flashes and show a little bit of promise going into 2024. Before we get into the running backs, I do want to give a big shout out to my friends over at Fantasy Points Data. If you haven't checked out the Fantasy Points Data Suite yet, you are missing out on an absolute cheat code for fantasy. I love looking this stuff up for you and I will continue to do so, but I cannot tell you how much fun I have going into the data suite, playing around with all the different filters, finding out who's the best passer on third downs, who's you know the highest percentage of first read targets, who's getting the most missed tackles forced per attempt. Like It is endless the amount of shit that you can search on the fantasy points data suite. It is the backbone of all of my content all the stats you see me throwing out here are from Fantasy Points Data. I am not paid by them. This is not like an advertisement. This is just me giving them some love because I get to use that data to make my content better. So I hope you enjoyed my content. And if you did, please consider go check, going to check out Fantasy Points Data. It's on super cheap because we are already you know, into the season. So go check it out. Get a little discount for the rest of this year. And then you're going to want to come back for the full season next year. Guaranteed. Shout out to Scotty B. Shout out to Graham over at Fantasy Points. Love those guys doing great work over there. And the data suite is just, you know, another feather in their cap, let's say. Okay, and we are going to dive into the running backs here on the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment. I love chatting with people. I love seeing the notifications come up on my phone that somebody threw a comment on the YouTube video. Love it. Please go do that. Fire a comment. Love to see it all. So the running back landscape has been pretty wild this season. We've had a bunch of injuries, rest in peace, 
J.K. Dobbins having a dope season this year. Um, and some new faces, like I said at the top of the show, a bunch of new faces in the running back landscape. Christian McCaffrey, Old Faithful, is at the top of that list as the running back one so far. But looking at the running backs two and three, they are actually teammates. And those are Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan of the Miami Dolphins. I do have to preface all of this by saying Devon Achan did go on IR this week. He's going to miss at least four weeks, but I do think he's going to come back into the fold after that. Conversely, we had Jeff Wilson activated or his activation off the IR that gives him the 21 day period to be fully activated. That started this week as well. So Jeff Wilson's going to come in as reinforcements as Devon Achan kind of moves out. Vastly different players. Jeff Wilson is kind of that banger, a little bit of sneaky receiving upside for sure. Um, not the electric spark plug that Devon Achan is. So don't expect any Achan production coming out of Jeff Wilson, but I think it can be good. And so I'm still going to break this stuff down because I think some of these things can be translated to a Jeff Wilson, as well as to when Devon Achan returns from that injury. Huge bummer that he got hurt, though. He was doing some otherworldly things as that rookie running back coming in, and we loved seeing it. Uh, but not the case for the next at least four weeks with him going to injured reserve. But looking at it, Raheem Mostert is the running back two. Devon Achan is the running back three at the point this point in the season. Achan, he's producing a little bit more as a runner, and Mostert is taking a little bit more of the passing pie. He does have a bunch more snaps from those first two games of the season. What we've got to ask ourselves with this production is, is it sustainable? And the first thing I'm looking at there is volume. And let me tell you, it looks pretty good. Over the last three games, since essentially since Devon Achan was inserted as a big piece of this offense, Achan is the running back one over those three weeks. He's only averaging 12 carries and three targets a game. Raheem Mostert, the running back three in that three-week span, is only averaging 10 carries and about four to five targets per game. So that isn't crazy volume to where they can't continue, especially on the rushing end of things. 22 carries between the two of them, 100% doable when they're both healthy and in the game. And then I mean seven to eight targets between the two of them. How is that not doable either? Um, I think it definitely could be sustainable as far as the volume, but the efficiency, I'm really not so sure. Like, I don't think it's out of the question necessarily, but the clip that they have been producing at has been something to behold. Both of them are scoring touchdowns on over 12% of their rush attempts right now. No other running back is over 8% with at least 30 carries. And Achan's going for 15 plus yards on almost one in every five carries that he has had this season. So that definitely wasn't going to maintain. Defenses were going to get smart to this, figure out ways to defend it and contain it a little bit. Um, and we did see Raheem Mostert cool off a little bit from his week three explosion over the past couple weeks. Achan, you know, with that injury, he obviously has a mandatory cool off period here. Um, but I think even if he was healthy, he probably would have cooled down a little bit. But again, he might just be that fantasy unicorn. You never know, right? It's, it's hard to like plant your flag and say he's going to be a fantasy unicorn, which is why I hedge saying that he probably was going to cool off a little bit. But you never know. Could have just been the freaking unicorn. Either way, almost everything points to a high efficiency running back room being sustainable no matter who is there. Uh, definitely the ceiling is higher when Achan is second to Mostert as opposed to Jeff Wilson being second to Mostert. But I think what they've been doing right now has been crazy. I actually went back 10 years to see if any running back duo has finished inside the top five. The 
Closest thing I could find was in 2017 when Alvin Kamara finished as the running back three and Mark Ingram finished as the running back six. Uh, but we were about to see some stuff that we have not really seen before out of these guys. So sucks that Achan got hurt. If I was choosing one at health, it would have been Achan. Obviously, right now you go with Raheem Mostert. Um, but in a vacuum, in isolation of the injury, I would be choosing Achan just because Mostert's older, has that long injury history. And Achan just feels like he could be the guy who keeps that big play consistency going over that elder Raheem the Dream Mostert. So that's where I'm sitting on the Dolphins. You just want pieces of these guys. I've said it all season, basically. If you can get yourself pieces of this offense, aside from maybe like Robbie Chosen, uh, you are getting pieces of this offense. And that includes Chase Claypool. Please go check out that video I watched last week about the trade reaction. I think Chase Claypool could be sneaky involved in this offense when he gets acclimated. The running backs five and six respectively are Kyron Williams and Zach Moss. And I think these two guys are glaring sells for us right now in fantasy football. I would absolutely be putting these guys out on the trade block, adding them to packages to upgrade positions 100%. And we're going to start with Kyron Williams on that front. The running back five on the season, running back 11 on a points per game basis. Looks great. He is getting the highest snap percentage of any running back league wide. Top 12 in share of his team carries, top 12 in target percentage among running backs, all that jazz, totally get it. But if you dig deeper, his production has been pretty touchdown dependent and his efficiency as a runner is just not good. In the two games where Kyron Williams hasn't scored a touchdown, he's only averaging 8.1 PPR points per game. He scored two touchdowns in each of the other three games. And I don't think that's going to sustain. In fact, over 40% of Kyron Williams' fantasy points scored this season have come via touchdowns. And I mean, if you just look at it, seven touchdowns in the first five games, multiple games with multiple touchdowns, not going to happen anymore. As far as efficiency, he doesn't crack the top 25 in yards per carry, explosive run rate, missed tackles forced. So not making big plays, not making guys miss. He's only had more than 53 rushing yards in one game. So I think that running back five kind of ranking is a little bit misleading as far as how he's been as a running back. Looking at the game where he did go over 53 rushing yards, he needed 25 carries in that game to hit 103 rushing yards. And I don't know if he's ever going to hit another 25 carry game this season. So I am hard selling Kyron Williams. Target share, obviously it's great right now, but I think it gets propped up a little bit by the 17 targets he got between weeks two and three. He's only had five targets in the two games since, and I think that would be the norm, especially with Cooper Cup returning versus the 17 that he got in that two game span earlier in the season. So sell your Kyron Williams shares while you can. Another factor here, just from a, like a philosophical lens, is looking at this offense and the team's surprising performance so far. Cooper Cup, back with a vengeance in week five. Puka Nakua, he is now a foundational piece and a mega difference maker on this team. And I think the Rams, with them potentially being in the hunt for a wild card spot, looking at their offense, Kyron Williams, to me, is definitely the weak link on that offense. If, uh, if that inefficiency continues, I don't think the Rams are going to be shy to bolster that running back spot. Don't forget, for a couple years, it was basically their move to make high-profile midseason acquisitions and look out on the running back landscape. Leonard Fournette is a free agent. You never know what they could do out on the trade block. I would love to see Michael Carter go to a new place because he's getting lots of snaps that have been hampering Brees Hall in New York, uh, and I think he could go somewhere and make a difference because he is a pretty electric little running back out in New York. So I don't really see Kyron's efficiency increasing. The volume can only get lower 
I will say I do have to ride him in one of my home leagues, but I'm going to put some feelers out there as soon as after this podcast is recorded. And I would have to be getting a productive running back back in this injury riddled landscape when I'm selling Kyron Williams. So that's the caveat I'll put on that trade or sell Kyron Williams is that if you're not getting a solid producing running back back in that trade, I'd probably sit tight because the running back landscape is pretty sparse right now. As far as guys I might be looking to acquire if I'm trading Kyron Williams, I'd be looking at guys like James Cook, Rashad White, Jameer Gibbs, guys who haven't really seen their full potential just yet. Maybe you even try to upgrade him to a guy like Tony Pollard, but I think Tony Pollard might have some of his own issues and we'll cover that in a different episode. Um, But yeah, you definitely are going to see what you can get for Kyron Williams because I feel like his position as this all-world volume awesome producer is pretty fickle at best. And Zach Moss, you know, I'm not going to dump on the guy. I think selling him is just due to Jonathan Taylor's return. It's nothing to do with what he's done because he is immensely overachieved so far this year versus what we expected coming in. He was given that top spot with Jonathan Taylor going on the pup. So kudos to him, really. I think he probably earned himself some timeshare work in 2024 on a different team. Definitely going to be curious to see how long Moss continues being involved in the Colts offense this season with Jonathan Taylor coming back. Uh, I think there could be maybe a couple weeks of value left in him, but I don't think it's going to be much once JT gets situated. So I think selling Zach Moss off that week five is the right move. And, you know, just be happy that it happened. Don't be sad that it's gone, right? A couple more quick touches at the running back position. We've got Bijan Robinson and Brees Hall. I don't think either of these guys has really scratched the surface just yet. Bijan still has Tyler Algier being used way too much. Tyler Algier has double the goal line carries that Bijan Robinson does and that is a fucking problem Arthur Smith then you look at Brees Hall and he just kind of got the um the kid gloves taken off in week five got the lion's share of the work but he's still contending with uh, Dalvin Cook and Michael Carter a little bit so I don't think he's seen all of the pie like he will at some point um so Bijan and Brees Hall Keep riding these guys. If you can trade for Brees Hall because he's not in the top 10 as Bijan is, I would be going out and trying to trade for Brees Hall. Tough to do after that week five performance, but give her a whirl. Maybe Kyron Williams is a part of that package to get uh, to get Brees Hall. And then to look at a couple other guys who have been kind of in the top 12 running back ranks in the past. Derek Henry and Joe Mixon are sitting just wide at running back 14 and running back 16 respectively. Josh Jacobs off that big target performance in week five snuck into the top 12 as the running back 10. And looking at Jacobs, obviously, I think he's the most likely to continue this production, averaging almost seven targets per game over the past three games with the Raiders, basically only targeting himself, Devontae Adams and Jacoby Myers. I actually looked into it and those three players make up over 75% of the Raiders targets so far this season. So I think Jacobs production as a pass catcher is going to sustain. And I think his production as a runner will increase as the season moves along. So no issue, no worries there for Josh Jacobs. Derrick Henry, bit of a different story. He's fading fast for me. He's only got 56% of the team snaps this season. Rookie Tyje Spears has 50% of his own snaps this year. We know that Derrick Henry isn't going to be seeing whatever passing game work is available for Tennessee running backs. And with their defense being one of the worst against the pass, I don't think they're really going to be getting into game scripts where he can carry the ball 20 plus times, get that rhythm, get multiple touchdowns. I just don't think that's going to happen. He's only got two games where he's carried the ball 20 plus times. Coincidentally, both were Titans wins, but we're just not seeing as many chunk plays. 
only two games have we seen him go over 75 rushing yards. And I think we really just need to reset those expectations for Derrick Henry as soon as possible. Decent running back too. I will give him that, but not one you're super hyped about seeing in your lineup. Even as the running back two on your team, it feels a little bit um, dicey with him in there because he could put up some of those dud performances. So Derrick Henry is somebody I am very concerned about. I could see him starting to fade back even a little bit more with the lack of passing game work and Ty J Spears continuing to take on snaps. All right, and moving to wide receivers on this, the True North Fantasy Pod. Lots to observe here among the wide receiver landscape. We've got Tyreek Hill in the one spot, Stefan Diggs in the two. No surprises there. Tyreek is set to basically break records this year if he keeps it up, and Stefan Diggs is basically just getting his Stefan Diggs on as that elite option out in Buffalo. Put a tweet out this weekend that I don't think anybody ever gets open as much as Stefan Diggs. It's ridiculous how often you see him take a pass with no defenders in his vicinity. Pretty awesome to see. And then you actually watch him run those routes and it's just pure filth. We love us some Stefan Diggs over here. Much like we did at quarterback, we are going to make our first stop at the wide receiver three. Looking great with Puka Nakua as the wide receiver three. Cooper Cup came back in week five. Both of them were top 12 wide receivers on the week. Awesome. Pretty short target totem pole in LA right now too. Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua are going to see basically more than 50% of the team's targets each week. Kyron Williams, Tyler Higby, Tutu Atwell are going to take basically the scraps that are left for him. I don't expect a ton out of any of those three options. Maybe Higby because tight end is brutal, but that's about it. Uh, Tutu Atwell, I don't think you drop just yet, but I think he is very close to being dropped. They did just trade Van Jefferson to the Atlanta Falcons. So Tutu has been solidified as the wide receiver three, um, but I don't think that's going to amount to a ton of fantasy upside with Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua taking all of those targets. And I think Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua both maintain huge upside in any given week. Most likely we're going to see one of them be a for sure top 12 every week option with the other guy's floor being no lower than like top 20. Um, but I think that could level out into like both being top 12 plays, maybe not top five plays in any given week, if that makes sense. Cooper Cup is going to be the number one. That pendulum has not shifted for the Los Angeles Rams. Going to resume that red zone role that he's always had. Definitely brings higher touchdown upside than I think does Puka Nakua. But the main positive is that Puka's not going to fall off. That's the main thing, right? So we knew Cooper Cup was going to be this. We didn't know if Puka Nakua was going to be able to maintain, but he can, and he did, and he will. Okay, we talked about Justin Fields. Let's talk a little bit more about DJ Mo Money. That's DJ Moore coming off a fat week five on Thursday. DJ Moore is currently the wide receiver four on the season, and I think what we saw earlier in the season is they just needed some time in game to start linking up on the regular a little bit more. And I think Justin Fields and DJ Moore are locked in as one of the best quarterback receiver duos in the league for the rest of the season, really. And I think the role for DJ Moore just screams fantasy production. He's not even near the elite wideouts as far as volume, but he is in efficiency. Still got the highest percentage of his team's receiving yards with over 46% of the Bears receiving yards. He's fifth in the league in receiving yards. He's got the sixth best yards per route run. And he is number one in yards per target for all receivers who have 20 or more targets. So I think wheels up for DJ Moore. He is a wide receiver one. Top five is in his realm of possibilities in any given week. 
We've seen Darnell Mooney not emerge as a target getter. Cole Komet, definitely going to talk about him. But I don't think he's going to eat into any of DJ Moore's work because more than 83% of DJ Moore's routes are run from the outside. Whereas for Cole Komet, he runs almost 85% of his routes as an inline tight end or from the slot. So I think that's really beneficial for really both of them continuing their fantasy production. Uh, DJ Moore especially. I think he's going to continue to fire at that top 5, top 10 clip. Bang, bang! Some more familiar faces, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Keaton Allen, A.J. Brown, and Devontae Adams, all in that top 10. Justin Jefferson did go on IR this week, another sad story. He's going to be gone for at least four weeks coming out of that week five matchup. Uh, Monitor that, adjust accordingly, but if you watch this show in the past, you'll know that I love me some K.J. Osborne. Jordan Addison could see the breakout that we caught glimpses of in the first couple weeks too, so I would make those guys, if they're not already added in your league, I'm recording this on Wednesday, releasing on Thursday, so we missed waivers already. If you can get K.J. Osborne or Jordan Addison, though, go out and do so. Jordan Addison, I think, profiles probably as the alpha with K.J. continuing to be that number two, but that number two spot in... uh, in Minnesota has been fairly lucrative for the wide receiver. Just, well, lucrative as far as opportunities, right? There's been some red zone work. There's been some deep passing. Just hasn't been a ton of fantasy production coming out of it. And I think that's going to come, especially with this all-world target getter in Justin Jefferson vacating for a little while. That stuff's got to go somewhere. And I think Jordan Addison and KJ Osborne are going to be the beneficiaries, as well as a little bit of an uptick for TJ Hawkinson, I guess, too. Keenan Allen, he was on another planet before the bye week. Not going to spend too much time. He has been playing banged up so far this season and still producing at a top five clip. Mike Williams is hurt. Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnston have not emerged as solid number two options. So I think it's status quo for Keenan Allen as an every week elite option. Line them up. Okay, so for the biggest surprise within the top 12 of wideouts, we are going to Carolina and what a feeling it beats believe in Adam Thielen is a top 12 wide receiver right now I don't have huge confidence in him continuing at that top 12 pace but I think if anyone's going to be that ultimate top 12 surprise it's going to be old faithful the old dog who doesn't learn new tricks Adam Thielen looking at the ecosystem none of these ancillary guys have been stepping up consistently Terrace Marshall love him not doing it DJ Chark love him not doing it Jonathan Mingo like him not doing it. Thielen, on the other hand, top five in routes run, number one in slot targets through five weeks, which is awesome. So I think where the other guys are kind of those outside field stretching type of guys, Adam Thielen's role is extremely secure in this offense. And with a young quarterback, not the best running game, he's definitely a bit of a safety net for quarterback Bryce Young. Saw him heavily targeted when Andy Dalton was in there. Good signs because you never know what's going to happen over the season. You're probably not pulling Bryce Young, but if he does miss any time, Andy Dalton's going to be able to keep Adam Thielen afloat. I think game script's going to be in his favor all year long too. This team's not going to be leading in games very often. They're going to have to throw the ball, and Adam Thielen has emerged as the clear-cut number one target in Carolina, averaging 11 targets per game over the last four. And I'd say Thielen, he's probably a set-and-forget wide receiver too on fantasy rosters with that top 12 upside that he could present. Either way, though, one of the best offseason values after being drafted well into the double-digit rounds. Adam Thielen, little cherry on top for fantasy rosters, well-played drafting him, and you're just reaping those benefits now. A couple other surprises, too, though. Nico Collins, Hollywood Brown, rounding out that top 12. 
do want to say go back to the audio platforms check it out we've got a couple of short videos on the socials as well ty did an audio recording of a full breakdown of the arizona cardinals and hollywood brown is a big piece of that so please go check it out it's not on the youtube channel but it's on spotify google pods apple pods wherever you listen to your pods go check it out because ty did a money job breaking down the cardinals so i'm not going to go too deep aside from you keep riding hollywood brown and nico collins hollywood on pace for career highs and targets yards touchdowns so you start him every week as a wide receiver two mega week winning upside with hollywood brown we know that and then with nico collins we're seeing flashes of a true alpha breakout really the only thing that's hampered that has been the weeks three and week five dud games where he saw only seven targets total but he's outside the top 20 in targets right now obviously not great but the beauty is that he's inside the top 10 in yards and yards per route run and he's second only to dj mo money in yards after the catch per reception which is something i didn't really think was in nico collins's profile so he's showing us more than i thought he had coming in and i think we're gonna see solid fantasy production over the rest of the season i do think that the presence and progression of tank dell might make a top 12 finish difficult for nico collins but i think he's locked into that top 15 or so rest of season gotta start him every single week and just eat any of the down games that he might have because the up games have been really good so far a couple other little wide out notes just keep true on garrett wilson and chris olave they are the wide receiver 26 and 28 respectively both uber talented young players should bounce back to a degree from what we've seen so far, both in uh, questionable situations, let's say, but both also have weak winning upside in any given matchup. So still starting them as that wide receiver 2-3. Don't absolutely love it, but there are better days ahead. So stay the course. And that rounds out the wide receivers. Obviously, there is so much more that I could cover. I mean, the wide receiver and running back landscapes are very deep. Uh, if anyone listening ever has anyone they want me to break down or anyone that they want me to talk about, feel free to shoot me a DM or message me on the socials, hit the YouTube comments. I like I'm pulling stuff that is relevant to me and that stands out to me, but I am here to help you. So if there's anything that you think would be helpful that I could look into for you as far as looking at the landscapes of each position, please let me know. I think I'm going to keep this show format happening throughout the rest of the season where we take a look at the top 12s, top 24s, give some big observations, who's falling out, who's rising, etc, etc. So please feed those in through the DMs or the comments on YouTube and social, and I'd be happy to take a look into what you guys want me to look at. So thanks a lot. Tight ends. It uh, dumpy once again, dumpy once again. This was one of the years where um, I didn't say this could be the year of the tight end because I've been duped by that so many years prior. Uh, and it's not really been the year of the tight end, although we have seen some elite performance from some unexpected names for sure. Um, I think the biggest elephant in the tight end room, though, would be Kyle Pitts. And after a big week five, we're probably asking ourselves, is he back? And my answer to that is as long as Desmond Ritter can slice and dice like he did in week five, do I think that's going to happen? No, I do think we are going to continue to see the week by week roller coaster that is Kyle Pitts. It's unfortunate, but hey, it's just the way that it is with them not having solid quarterback play. I think Desmond Ritter probably played the best game that he will ever play in his life in week five. Um, and so I'm not planting my flag and saying better days are ahead for one Kyle Pitts. When we look at week five and his 15.7 PPR points, that was the fifth best fantasy day of his three-year career and only the fifth time he's hit 15 PPR points in a week in those three years. So sad story there. And like I said, I don't think I'm ready to say there's better days ahead. Desmond Ritter 
getting that win in week five and playing the way he did in week five probably cements him as the starter for at least a couple more weeks where previously we were clamoring for Taylor Heineke to get some starting reps here with the Falcons. I think what Heineke brings is a little bit of that gunslinger, you know? He he could bring out some of that potential with Kyle Pitts because he's not afraid to throw it before his guys open, throw it when his guys covered, all that stuff. Taylor Heineke will do that, where Desmond Ritter's just a bit of a deer in the headlights where that's concerned. So we're still holding Kyle Pitts for the upside that he presents. The usage is great. He runs a ton of routes. He's only eight targets off the tight end lead, which is TJ Hawkinson. Um, it's just the quality of targets that he's getting from Desmond Ritter, right? And so we just hope for positives there and maybe hope for a little Taylor Heineke. Uh, and I think we're going to see some decent performances like this throughout the rest of the season, but just not consistently. And man, if there's ever been a player that's tested the talent over situation theory, it has been Kyle Pitts. Holy cow. Next guy we're talking about is Sammy the Door Laporta. He is the tight end one on the season. And who even knew his name before the season, let alone thinking that he could be the number one tight end through five weeks? Looking at that production in Detroit, too, it is completely sustainable. He's number two on the target ladder for the Detroit Lions, which is a passing offense that we want to attach to. He's top five in tight end receptions right now, number one in yards and touchdowns, and number two in yards after the catch for tight ends. Lines up out wide and in the slot a ton, so the usage has been absolutely salivating. Sammy the door crazy part is he has been the number one fantasy tight end through five weeks with only three red zone targets and zero targets inside the five that is crazy for a tight end we know that tight end production is often predicated on touchdown dependency and Sammy the door has been anything but that so he could conceivably have much more touchdown upside than we've seen through five games even with him leading the position in that category admittedly it's a small sample size but i really think like sammy the door he is busting through the door as an elite tight end going forward not just 2023 2024 and beyond a couple more to knock off the old darnell docket here cole Komet. we talked a lot about justin fields at the top and I think Justin Fields needs a second fiddle to DJ Moore, right? He needs somebody else who can take a little bit of that pressure, and it has not been Darnell Mooney so far this season. Most of the stuff I just said about Sam Laporta essentially could be said about Cole Komet. Just Komet is a tier below, and he's the tight end four on the season. So um, I think everything that Sam Laporta has going for him, Cole Komet has most of those things, but just a step down from where Laporta's is. I think the differentiator is that Laporta is a better yards after the catch tight end and he has a bit of a heavier passing volume in Detroit I think where Komet differentiates is he's a little bit more of a focal point in the red zone where he's got six targets and I mentioned that Sam Laporta has three but I think all that really leans towards is the fact that like we might be seeing Cole Komet's ceiling right now whereas as I mentioned Laporta definitely has some opportunity to expand his role especially within the red zone so I mean a ceiling of tight end four for Cole Komet is not bad by any stretch of the imagination um, and much better than we expected coming in so you love what you're seeing from Cole Komet talked about how him and DJ Moore can coincide with where they line up for their routes they can soak up a large majority of Justin Fields targets in that bear offense so I think we're starting Cole Komet until further notice baby Two more. We got Evan Ingram. He has been quietly legit this season. He's the tight end seven on the year so far. Evan Ingram has the third most targets, second most yards among tight ends through five weeks. He's also got the most yards after the catch on the season so far for tight ends, which is awesome. 
Uh, and looks like he's going to maintain some semblance of that volume too. He had eight targets in week five. Obviously not a great finish. He finished outside the top 20, only catching four balls for 28 yards on those eight targets. But before week five, Evan Ingram hadn't finished outside the top 10 tight ends in any of the first four weeks. Uh, so I think more of the same. Top 10 locked in every single week. Jags are another passing offense that we want to attach to. Uh, and, you know, Evan Ingram is a way for us to anchor there. Okay, last one is Dalton Schultz. And looking at the opportunity from week five, he could be set for some elite tight end opportunity. 10 targets in week five. Dalton Schultz sits just outside the tight end top 12 at tight end 13. And I'm not coming in here saying he's going to give you any monster week winning weeks. He doesn't do that. He only has one reception of 20 plus yards, not getting a bunch of targets downfield or anything like that. But the target volume looks to be on the upswing, and he has proven to be a very good red zone weapon. We saw that come to fruition in week five for the Texans. So what Dalton Schultz lacks in big playability, he could supplement with some touchdown upside. And I just think Dalton Schultz is a really solid pickup for a tight end needy squad. So if you are in need, pick him up. That does it, everybody, for this episode of the True North Fantasy Potter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. Like I said, on the socials, we are at True North FFB, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. And then on Facebook, we are True North Fantasy Football. So go check us out. And then True North Fantasy Football on the YouTube channel. That's the meat and potatoes of the content is the YouTube channel. So please go subscribe there. Leave a like. Leave a comment. Love putting this show out for you. If you liked it, let me know. If you enjoyed the format going forward, you have any players you want me to break down or anything, please let me know. But until next week, have a great week six. Get them W's. Peace.